I was blessed to meet uh, Pastor Fick Ray and his wife, Lakeisha. Do you call her Keisha? Make sure I get it right. Okay, Keisha. Sorry, Keisha. Uh, and, and, and their family, um, way away from here, like two, three hours away from here, we was at a, at a family camp. And we crossed paths and I had heard of his name and heard of him before we got a chance to meet. And so it was cool actually lining up and meeting. And I'm like, oh, man, cool. I get to put, you know, faces with the names. It's all. Let's rap. And uh, Rebecca and I was we was encouraged by our time with them. And it was cool. And and then like he had shared with me that like his family was going at that time through just some like housing challenges. But as he was talking to me, I'm like, wait a minute, brother, like like you're facing this type of adversity. But as we talk, I'm seeing a calm, a a God centered wisdom, still thinking about others. We talking about ministry and all this stuff. And I'm like, when I stub my toe, I can't focus. I'm ready to like get all out of whack and every. And so. It, it, it has been like uh, a, a blessing to get to know their family, but, it, but you, you kind of get a gauge for someone's connection with Christ when things are going well. You really get to know somebody's character when everything ain't going right in their life and they're still clinging close to Christ. And so uh, I want to bring forth our brother, Pastor Fick Ray. Oh, that's cool. We, sister, hey, he's just worshiping. Y'all know how it is. Kids, kids get to singing. I um, want to bring forth Pastor Fick Ray, and I'm going to pray for him as, as he comes to bring the word today. Lord, we are thankful for Pastor Fick Ray and for Lakeisha and for the kids. We're thankful, Lord, that, that they see you as their Savior. And now, Lord, as you have uh, redeemed their family and redeemed him, Lord, free him up to encourage us from your word that we might understand you more, but that you might use his gifts, his unique experiences, his perspective on life to encourage us in ours. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. 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 You guys hear me okay? All right. All right. Uh, I don't plan on being before you long. Um, but over the next three and a half hours, I hope to uh, get into the text. <laughs> I want to make sure, uh, you know, you get what the Lord has for you, though. Um, I am very excited to be here. Um, as Leon mentioned, we met about three years ago uh, at a family camp in Lake something. Yeah, it was called Timberwolf Lake. Um, but I couldn't remember. Lake City. Yeah, Lake City, Michigan. And whatever it is, it's really far away from Detroit. And uh, you don't want to arrive after dark because um, there are no lights, no street lights. And then all of a sudden there's a bright spot in the middle of the road. And that's the entrance to Timberwolf. And uh, unfortunately, I've arrived at midnight far too many times. Um, but I'm excited to be here today. Uh, I hope you are as, as, as well. This service has blessed me so much. I cannot express just the completeness of it. Uh, and, and when I say completeness, I'm, I'm not just talking about the spiritual completeness, but I'm talking about the community completeness of it. 
to see the children here in worship in the midst of that. It's not a special children's day service where we stand and we take pictures of our children on stage at church. But this was something that allowed our kids to be able to worship God in the midst of the worship that we as adults were doing. And, and we as adults had the opportunity to come off of our high pedestal and actually begin to do the different dances and things like that. And, and so often within your heart, you start to say, I don't know if I should be. I might be looking a little silly while I'm doing this. And then you realize that to God, it doesn't matter. That to God, we are all those little children that he is waiting to see lift up our hands and to dance before him. And he's not looking for the perfection of it. He's looking for the heart that says, God, I'll give you everything I got. And I'm so excited for MacAv. I'm so excited for what you guys are doing. And honestly, I've had, I've been watching from afar what MacAv is. Um, some years ago, there's a brother at Evangel, uh, my, my past history is at a church called Evangel Ministries, and uh, it was a brother from Evangel, he said, you know, I'm, I, I've, I've linked up with some good brothers over at Mac Avenue, and I want to go, uh, and my family, we're moving over there, we're moving into the community over there, and, and, and that's what we're focusing in on, is being a body of believers, you know, in this particular area to shine the light of Christ in the midst of that area, and, 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 and be able to um, be a community of believers. And, and all of a sudden, something that I had never considered peaked inside of me. What does that mean? Because I've known church communities. I've known being a part of churches and going to churches where people drive from miles around just to come to this building for two hours a day and then they leave or two hours a, a week, and then they leave, and they go back to their regular lives. What does it mean to come to church for those two hours, and really it's no different than Saturday or, 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 or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday when it's I'm walking down the street and I get a chance to see the person that I was just in worship with. That's an amazing thing. And it began to change who I was, and it began to change um, what I wanted to, what I hoped the Lord would do through me. Some years back, the Lord gave me just kind of, as I was praying, like, Lord, what do you want from me? Lord, what do you want me to do? What's, what's my mission? What's my directive? What's, and, and just kind of gave me this phrase. It summed up a lot of what I, my experiences in the past, a lot of my education, a lot of what I was doing. And he said, build belief and believe in communities. And that was it. And it began to make sense over time. And today what I want to do is, is dive into a particular piece of scripture that I feel is, is a part of that. It's a part of that because when you're in a believing community, just because you're in a believing community, it does not mean that you always have a smile on your face. The tough part is that as close as you get, what ends up happening is friction takes place. There's pushback the closer you get, but that pushback is what melds us closer together and we become one. You see that in marriage, that the closer a husband and a wife become, the little things start to push back at you because you know you're close now. And you have to fight through those moments so that you can get even closer, so that you can get even tighter. When we have kids, then you start to see it even more. Now I have to sacrifice for someone who's not giving me a thing. It's joy. There was joy there. There was joy. But it fights against your personality. It fights against your flesh. All of those things, there's pushback. 
But the question is, why is it? Why do we have this marriage? Why do we have these families? Why do we have these communities? Why do we have these gatherings together with, of people in a church? Why? And so I want to look at a particular passage. It's in 1 John, um, book of 1 John or 1 John, depending if you're from Europe or not. Um, but there you go. Uh, I was at a conference and uh, they kept saying 1 John, 2 John. I'm like, this just does not feel right. And I realized, but uh, over time, I found myself using that same terminology. So 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, it says, this is out of the ESV, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you, too, may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that. Our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we we fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. But if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Amen. So one of the first things that we see in this verse number one is verse number one reads, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The very interesting thing is that this is the beginning of a book. This is not the middle of a book. This is not the middle of a writing. This is not. It it starts off that. I don't know how many English majors I have in here, but what you don't do in traditional writing is start off with that because that assumes something. And so with that, that. Can I say that? Yeah. With that, that the assumption is you understand what I'm about to say. You know something major happened. And what I'm coming to you with is a little bit extra. This is John talking. This is John who walked with Jesus. John considered to be the beloved one, the one whom Jesus loved, the one whom Jesus gave care of his mother after he died on or before he died on the cross. This is John who raced Peter to the tomb when they found out that something happened and the tomb was empty. This is that John. John who had experienced that life. And John goes through this moment and says, I need you to understand something. This is not a fairy tale for me. This is not something that I've made up. This is not something that I heard somebody else say. This is something that I actually am rooted in. I saw him. I ate with him. I loved him. 
I watched him be betrayed. I watched him die. And then I saw an empty tomb. And then I saw him again. And then I saw him ascend. This is not something that I've just made up. This is not something that somebody else passed on in a pamphlet to me. This is my life. And John goes from that point and saying, I need you to understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about the word of life. This thing that we are all trying to figure out. You wake up in the morning trying to have a better life, a happier life. You wake up in the morning trying to do something to make sure that your life meant something, that you didn't waste your life. And this is exactly why John is so passionate about, I need you to understand this is real. John experienced the fullness of emotion and experience with Jesus. And he begins to build this compelling argument for belief. And then he goes on into verse two and he says, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. John moves from just his personal reasons to evidence of a commitment of the realities of a life touched by Jesus. And the reality is this, that if you've ever seen him, then you tell about it. If you've ever heard him, then you tell about it. And if you've ever been saved, if you were saved by him, then you tell about it. John goes from just these facts and figures that he knows that he's seen, that he's seen this experience that he had, and it becomes deep inside of him to where he's saying, I testify that I don't care who is asking me this question. I stand firm in what I'm saying. This happened. And not only do I stand firm in saying that this thing happened, now I proclaim it. Now I stand on the street corners. Now I go to everyone I know and I share this good news with them. Why do I share this good news with them? Because it's real. And if you have ever seen the magnitude of someone who was crucified, who was beaten, who was bloodied, who was pulled off that cross in a lifeless, limp body and put into a tomb that you know nobody is rolling the stone away. Yet that stone was rolled away and yet those clothes were still in there and he was not there. Now I got to proclaim it. I can't hold this back. What else am I going to do with my life? Really, am I going to go back to work for GM after I saw that? No. This is the rest of my life. Proclaiming the gospel. Because it is worthy of all those things. Now, if I'm working at GM, what do I do? Yeah, I work for GM, but I proclaim the gospel while I'm there. If I buy a house, it's great. I got a house. But what do I do with the house? I proclaim the gospel to my neighbors where I got the house at. I have to proclaim the good news of Christ. An interesting thing. Excuse me. An interesting thing that he says. Is that the life which was with the father. And was made manifest to us. He gives this directive, this, this, this alluding to Jesus being preexistent. Don't think that Jesus was just this really natural man that was born. He says he was with the Father, and then he was made manifest to us. John is saying he is God. 
He is God. Don't think that we're talking about some righteous teacher. That's not it. Lazarus was raised from the dead as well. So he's got that. But Lazarus was not before with the father. Jesus was before with the father. There's something special about him that you need to know. And you need to know that as he rose from the dead, he did it under his own godly power. So though things in your life may change, though you may go through all kinds of issues. Hate to pause for a second. Is there any way I get a couple, like a little water or something? Thank you. Um, maybe a little too passionate. <laughs> but when things go on in your life, when things go on, we tend to let the things that happen to us change how we see God. Whenever we, you know, I hear the prayer requests, and I, I love that as well, that you get a chance to hear that people are going through things, but yet they're trusting God. It says in Revelation that we overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. That's a part of this. The blood of the lamb, Jesus did the work, but we share the fact that we struggle. And it says in verse number three, that again, which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you. With his Son, Jesus Christ. That's a special thing. I'm proclaiming these things for a particular reason, for a particular purpose. There is a benefit to this. There is a benefit to you hearing this gospel. There's a benefit to me sharing this gospel. And that benefit is it's going to produce relationship. That if I share this good news, if I share this gospel with you, you and I will be able to experience something that those who do not believe will not be able to experience. And that is the fellowship with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And how awesome is that to be in the presence of God? You and I both know that we can pray. We do pray. We pray in our car. We pray by ourselves. We pray at home. But when we come together to pray, God is doing something different. And that fellowship of prayer, when you and I worship and we turn on our Spotify, Spotify playlist and we're listening and, and worshiping the Lord, it's great. But when we come together to worship the Lord, there's something different about that. It's the fellowship that God is in the midst wherever two or more are gathered in my name. I am in the midst. That fellowship produces something special. And that's what John gets into when he goes into verse four and he says, and we are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. See, when we have community and when we have fellowship, we're able to overcome whatever the obstacles that, that, that may be. Pastor Leah, I loved when you say there is a sister who was struggling, but her car was stolen. And they, we got you. That doesn't happen in isolation. When you isolate yourself, when you pull yourself out of fellowship, or when you say, you know, I'm just a loner, you know, I don't really do stuff like that. When adversity comes, where are you? You're isolated. You are alone. But when you come together as a fellowship, that family unit, it draws us. 
it draws and God is the one that keeps us close so that when adversity comes, I may be at a high point in my life. You may be at a low point in your life. But when we come together with what the Lord is doing, he is able to address both situations. There is a joy that comes in fellowship. There is a joy that comes in compelling others to come into belief in Christ. And that's why we open up our mouths. It's not just a thing that we do on a Sunday morning here from a pulpit, but it's something that we do with our entire life. We proclaim the goodness of God. So when this world tries to isolate you and create false community, Christianity has a unique response. It says, let us do life together. And this is the message Message comes in verse number five says, this is the message we have heard from him and we proclaim it to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And in verse number seven, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Verse number nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is the gospel message. This is what we live and we die with. This is, it is, this is, is what we hold on to above everything else. This is the life changing stuff. It's not, hey, we got a big old church. Hey, our praise team sings really well. That is not it. What it is is that God is light. And in him there is no darkness. That there is one who is perfect. Because you and I, we look at each other and we know the truth. No matter how much I say I'm perfect, you know that I'm not. But when you look into the light, there is no darkness. There is no spot. There is no blemish. He is perfect in all of his glory. And I want you to understand that that's who we go to. He said, and he says that, that if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's very special considering the fact that we now get a chance to walk with him. To walk in the light? See, the thing about Christianity, this is a faith that says that God wants to be with you. He wants to be involved with you, intimately involved. Again, there is no isolation. It is always fellowship. It is always embracing. It is always closeness. And so when you feel those tugs to pull away, to pull away, I got to be away. It's the enemy coming after you. You know, when I was, um, I was a teen in youth ministry, I think my youth pastor caught me on one particular analogy, mainly because I was a nerd and I liked to watch, you know, back then, um, like VHS videos of National Geographic and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, what you see and, and when you flip through the pages of National Geographic, also you, you, you see those antelope herds and things like that. They're running through the savanna and, you know, but somewhere in the back of the picture, there's like a little head and some eyes, and you realize that this herd of antelope is being stalked, and then you realize that, all right, well, the antelope are going to run fast. Yeah, yeah, the whole herd may run fast, but there's always one. There's always one. There's some straggling kid that's not paying attention that mom and dad are off over there, and the whole herd is moving over there, and so they're wandering, getting a little water, not paying attention to what's going on. 
Or there's the sick one, the one that's hurting, the one that's hurting and has left the protection of the fellowship. And those are the ones that the lions go after. And I thank God for the imagery that he puts in the Bible. And he says that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour, that God has even given us before National Geographic. God has even given us the premise. that He is out to devour you. But he gives us this great gospel message. And, and this is what I believe because I've seen it. This is me. I've heard it. This is me. And I've touched it. I believe that God is light and he is good. And in him there is no darkness. He can do no wrong. I believe that I can walk in his presence as Jesus has modeled for me. I believe that if I confess my sins and my sinful nature, that this good God who is light and he sees my sinfulness but still loves me anyways, that he is faithful and he is just to forgive me. And he will wash me of my unrighteousness. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. When I see this, when I read this, when I understand scripture, when I actually live it out, when I get an opportunity to be in community with people and see it happen over and over and over again, when I get a chance to go into hospitals with people who are terminally ill, but for some reason, after prayer, what happens? They stand up again and they walk and they live life for years after. Why? Because God stepped into those moments. Now, does that happen in every single case? Absolutely not. But does it happen? Absolutely. Have I seen God take someone who has a completely hard heart, angry and murderous and going after someone and stop them in the middle of their tracks? So that the one who was actually about to be harmed begins to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ and their both lives are changed. Have I seen it? Yes. Have I touched a lump of cancer? And after prayer, seeing that lump of cancer be removed. Yes. Yes, I have. I have seen it. I heard it. And I've touched it. And I know that God is good. I know that he is light. And in him there is no shadow of darkness. And that if you call upon the name of Jesus, your life will be changed forever. And if you use your fellowship in a way that proclaims the goodness of God, lives will be changed forever. So what's the opposite of this? The opposite is found in verses 6, 8, and 10. I love the way John writes this. Uh, he he kind of has this circular motion of the good and the bad and the good and the bad and the good and the bad. Just to kind of get it inside of you that that happens sometimes. But he says in, in verse number 6 that if we say we have fellowship with him while we are in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's verse eight. And verse number 10 says that if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And what is this the equivalent of? This is the equivalent of the responses that you get if you were to ask the question, are you a Christian? When you say, when you ask someone, are you a Christian? And their response is, yeah, I go to church. That's not what I asked you. 
That's the equivalent of we say we have fellowship. I go to church. Church attendance does not a Christian make. A Christian family does not a Christian make. Just because you are around Christians does not mean that you have seen, heard, touched, been in intimate fellowship with him. That's what makes you a believer. That's what changes your life. That's when there's the forgiveness of sin. That's when your faith can be strengthened. But he also goes on to say that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Jesus was even faced with this question. He said there was a man that said, good teacher. And Jesus responds back to him. Why do you call me good teacher? There is none good but the father. So who am I to ever say that I'm a good person? If Jesus wouldn't even accept that in that moment. I know and I carry within me who I truly am without Christ. And I keep it ever before me because I recognize that, Lord, if you should ever leave me. If you should ever leave me, I would just destroy myself. That's all that I'm left to do in this age. Is find something to destroy my mind, to destroy my body, to destroy my soul. And when you think of the things that we traditionally consider a plague on society or, or, or things that people do that are wrong, they're traditionally doing one of those things, destroying the mind, destroying the body, destroying the spirit, destroying the soul, destroying community. That these are the things that sin produces. It produces a destruction of fellowship and it produces isolation. But these are the things that can be masked. If I just come to church, everybody will think I'm okay. If I'm a good tither, pastor's not going to say anything to me. I get to do what I want to do. As long as I'm taking a portion of my income and I'm giving it to a charity, I'm a good person. I volunteer five hours a year that my company compensates me for. But at the same time, I mean, I'm still I'm doing the work. Because I'm a good person. And that's what we strive to be. I mean, you could check the Instagram accounts all day long. What are, they tr- what are people trying to be? Hey, look at me. I'm good. I'm a good musician. I'm a good singer. I'm a good guitar player. I'm a good actor. I'm a good painter. I'm a good sculptor. I'm a good engineer. I'm a good teacher. I'm a good pastor. Look at me. That's what we do but it produces a pride within us that I am more important than I actually am. I recognize that as a pastor, the fellowship, the group of us together is more important than anything that I could do. To walk with one, to walk with two, to walk with three until Christ is formed in them. That is the call. That is the call of a pastor. How dare I think that I can walk with 15,000 when Jesus only walked with 12? Am I better than he? By no means. So what I hope you hear is that lip service and church attendance does not 
a fellowship make. But it's the adherence to God's truth that makes a right fellowship. It's the honest confession of sin that produces a right fellowship. It is the commitment to accountability that produces a right fellowship. These are all the things that our flesh says no to. We don't want accountability. Nobody wants accountability. Everybody hates timesheets. Everybody hates the fact that you have to take every minute of your day and say, this is what I was doing. 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 Why? Because we know that 57% of that time we wasted. Yes, we did do work. But most of the time, we were just trying to get more coffee. That's, that's us. We were just trying to find the way to make it through another day. Because we have these compartmentalized lives. I love what Acts 2.42 says, and they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and to the fellowship, and the awe of the Lord fell upon them. It's an amazing hope that I have that the awe of the Lord would fall upon me, that I would be present in that moment. But what does it take? It takes the fellowship. It takes dinner, lunch, breakfast. Pastor Leon asked me to go to breakfast at seven o'clock in the morning. I told him only for him, only for him. I wanted to fellowship with him that bad that I got up at 6 a.m. I'm a homeschooler, so that's why <laughs> homeschoolers understand what I'm saying. But here's the thing, Mac, that if you proclaim the reality of Christ and him crucified, so it will produce a rich fellowship of believers with God, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, and there's joy forevermore. The joy of belief. There is joy in proclaiming what you believe in. There is joy in practicing what you believe in. Walk it out. Actually seek out the word of truth. And if you do those things, you will produce joy in other believers. You will draw others to this place. You will be a city that is set upon a hill. You will be a light in the midst of darkness. Why? Because you have fellowship with the Father. What John tells us is that the Father, he is light, and there's no darkness in him. When you feel that darkness encroaching in on this community, on the 1-4, is that right? On the 1-4, what do you do? You worship the Lord. You proclaim his name in the middle of the night. You proclaim his name in the middle of the day. You proclaim his name from every street corner. You proclaim his name from every porch. You proclaim his name from the commons. You proclaim his name in every single corner. And that darkness will be consumed by the light of the Lord. Can I pray for you? Most gracious and heavenly Father, you hear us. Father, you are the God of light. And Lord, I'm asking that you would break through every barrier of darkness, oh God, every hard heart, Lord, every bit of selfishness, every bit of pride, oh God, that we carry within ourselves, Lord, that we would seek your fellowship and your face, oh God. 
Father, you tell us in Isaiah that we were created for your glory, that every aspect of our life should be pointed towards your glory. And so, God, I pray that as we come together with our needs and with our abundance, Lord, that you would be glorified in this fellowship. Father, let it be said of Mac Avenue, let it be said of this neighborhood, just as it was in Acts, that there was none who lacked for anything. But Lord, I pray that in that, um, in that meeting of needs, you would be glorified, that you would draw others to you. Father, that you would even replicate what's going on here in this community so that Detroit would be a city that is set upon a hill, a light that shines in the midst of darkness, God, as those who have submitted themselves to you. So we thank you so much, God, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.